Greetings, and welcome to the Boston Beer Company's first quarter 2021 earnings call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference over to your host, Mr. Jim Cook, founder and chairman. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon and welcome. This is Jim Cook, founder and chairman, and I'm pleased to kick off the 2021 first quarter earnings call for the Boston Beer Company. Joining the call from Boston Beer are Dave Berwick, our CEO, and Frank Smala, our CFO. I'll begin my remarks this afternoon with a few introductory comments, including some highlights of our results, and then hand over to Dave, who will provide an overview of our business. Dave will then turn the call over to Frank, who will focus on the financial details of our first quarter results, as well as their outlook for 2021. Immediately following Frank's comments, we'll open the line up for questions. As the world slowly reopens and the COVID pandemic winds down, our primary focus continues to be on operating our breweries and our business safely and working hard to continue to innovate and meet customer demand. Before I turn to our key first quarter operational achievements, I wanna note that working with the Greg Hill Foundation, our Sam Adams Restaurant Strong Fund has raised over seven and a half million dollars thus far to support bar and restaurant workers who are experiencing hardships in the wake of COVID-19. And it's committed to continue to distribute 100% of its proceeds through grants to bars and restaurant workers across the country. We are thankful to our outstanding coworkers, distributors, and retailers for their continued focus and diligence in operating and helping us grow our business. The company's depletions increased 48% in the first quarter, and we achieved double-digit volume growth for the 12th consecutive quarter. This just would not have been possible without the outstanding coworkers in our breweries and our sales force and the frontline workers at our distributors and retailers. So thanks go to all of them. Early in 2021, we launched Truly Iced Tea Hard Seltzer, and during the second quarter, we plan to launch Truly Punch Hard Seltzer. Both combine refreshing hard seltzer and bold flavors, and we believe these new launches continue to demonstrate our innovation leadership within the hard seltzer category. We are also making steady progress in improving our brand support and messaging for our beer and cider brands to position them for long-term sustainable growth in the face of the difficult on-premise environment. We're optimistic that our on-premise business will significantly improve in 2021 as restrictions are lifted. We're excited about the response to the introduction in early 2021 of several new Sam Adams beers including Sam Adams' Wicked Hazy, Sam Adams' Wicked Easy, and Samuel Adams' Just the Haze, our first non-alcoholic beer, as well as the positive reaction to our 
Samuel Adams, your cousin from Boston, advertising campaign. We are confident in our ability to innovate and build strong brands that complement our current portfolio and help support our mission of long-term profitable growth. I will now pass over to Dave for a more detailed overview of our business. Hey, thanks, Jim. Hello, everybody. Uh, before I review our business results, I'll start with our disclaimer. As we state in our earnings release, some of the information we discuss in the release and when we come up on this call reflect the company's or management's expectations or predictions of the future. Such predictions and the like are forward-looking statements. It's important to note that the company's actual results could differ materially from those projected in such forward-looking statements. Additional information concerning factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from those in the forward-looking statements is contained in the company's most recent 10K and first quarter 10Q. You should also be advised that the company does not undertake to publicly update forward-looking statements whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Okay, uh, now let me share a deeper look at our business performance. We are happy with our strong starts of the year and our record first quarter shipment and depletion volumes. First quarter shipments growth was significantly higher than depletions growth as we took active steps to ensure that our distributor inventory levels were adequate to support drinker demand during the peak summer months. Our depletions growth in the first quarter was a result of increases in our Truly Hard Seltzer and Twisted Tea brands, partly offset by decreases in our Sam Adams, Angry Orchard, and Dogfish Head brands. The recently launched Truly Iced Tea Hard Seltzer has accelerated Truly brand growth, which has more than doubled since last year. In the first quarter, in measured off-premise channels, the Truly brand outgrew the hard seltzer category by nearly two times, or 50 percentage points, resulting in a share increase of 6.5 percentage points. The Truly brand has now reached a market share of over 28%, accounting for approximately 40% of all growth cases in the hard seltzer category year-to-date which is two times greater than the next largest, largest growth brand. Truly, Ice Tea Hard Seltzer has achieved a 4.3 percentage point market share in measured off-premise channels, well ahead of all other new entrants in the entire beer category. We expect the launch of Truly Punch Hard Seltzer during the second quarter to continue this positive momentum. We will invest heavily in the launch of Truly Punch Hard Seltzer and the Truly brand evolve our brand communications and further improve our position in the hard seltzer category as more competitors enter. Truly Tea continues to generate double-digit volume growth rates that are significantly above full-year 2020 trends. In the first quarter, in measured off-premise channels, case growth in Twisted Tea brand products was almost three times higher than its closest competitor, and we believe Twisted Tea is on its way to becoming the number one flavored malt beverage by year's end. We see significant distribution and volume growth opportunities for our truly twisted tea brands and are looking to continue to expand distribution of our dogfish head brand. Pursuing these opportunities in 2021 remains a top priority. Our Sam Adams, Angry Orchard, and Dogfish Head brands were hit the most by COVID-19 and the related on-premise closures. We continue to work hard on returning these brands to growth and are optimistic that they will return to growth in 2021. Overall, given the trends for the first three months in our current view of the remainder of the year, we've adjusted our expectations for higher 2021 full-year volume and earnings growth, which is primarily driven by the strong performance of our truly and twisted brands. 
During the quarter, we've taken various steps to ensure we have capacity to support this accelerating growth. We continue to work hard on our comprehensive program to transform our supply chain with the goal of making our integrated supply chain more efficient, reduce costs, increase our flexibility to better react to mix changes, and allow us to scale up more efficiently. We expect to complete this transformation over the next two to three years. We'll continue to invest in capacity to take advantage of the fast-growing hard seltzer category and deliver against the increased demand through a combination of internal capacity increases and higher usage of third-party breweries. Although meeting these higher volumes through increased usage of third-party breweries has a negative impact on our gross margins. While we anticipate delivering gross margin improvements in 2021, our gross margins and gross margin expectations will continue to be impacted negatively until our volume growth stabilizes. While we're in a very competitive business, we're optimistic for continued growth of our current brand portfolio and innovations, and we remain prepared to forsake short-term earnings as we invest to sustain long-term profitable growth in mind with the opportunities that we see. Based on information in hand, year-to-date depletions reported to the company through the 15 weeks ended April 10, 2021, are estimated to have increased approximately 49% from the comparable weeks in 2020. Uh, now Frank's going to provide the financial details. Thank you, Kim and Dave. Good afternoon, everyone. For the first quarter, we reported net income of $65.6 million or $5.26 per diluted share, an increase of $3.77 per diluted share from the first quarter of last year. This increase was primarily due to increased net revenue, partially offset by higher operating expenses. In the first quarter of 2020, we recorded pre-tax COVID-19 related reductions in net revenue and increases in costs that total $10 million or $0.60 cents per diluted share. In 2021 and going forward, we have chosen not to report COVID-19-related direct costs separately as they are viewed to be a normal part of operations. For the first quarter of 2021, shipment volume was approximately 2.3 million barrels, a 60.1% increase from the first quarter of 2020. Shipment volume for the quarter was significantly higher than depletions volume and resulted in significantly higher distributor inventories as of March 27, 2021, when compared to March 28, 2020. We believe distributor inventory as of March 27, 2021 averaged approximately seven weeks on hand and was at an appropriate level based on the supply chain capacity constraints and inventory requirements to support the forecasted growth of our truly interesting brands over the summer. We expect wholesaler inventory levels in terms of weeks on hand to be between three and seven weeks for the remainder of the year. Our first quarter 2021 gross margin of 45.8% increased from the 44.8% margin realized in the first quarter of last year. The increase was primarily a result of price increases the absence of the COVID-19 related direct costs incurred in the first quarter of 2020 and cost-saving initiatives at company-owned breweries, partially offset by higher processing costs due to increased production at third-party breweries. First quarter advertising, promotional, and selling expenses increased by $43 million from the first quarter of 2020, primarily due to increased brand investments of $21 million mainly driven by higher media and production costs, higher salaries and benefits costs, 
an increased freight to distributors of $21.9 million due to higher volumes and rates. General and administrative expenses increased by $4.9 million from the first quarter of 2020, primarily due to increases in salaries and benefits costs. During the first quarter, we recorded an income tax expense of $11 million, which consists of income tax expenses of $19.6 million, partially offset by an $8.6 million tax benefit related to stock, op- stock option exercises in accordance with ASD 2016-09. The effective tax rate for the first quarter, excluding the impact of ASU 2016-09, increased to 25.6%, the 23.6% of the first quarter of 2020. Based on the information of which we are currently aware, we are targeting 2021 earnings per degree share of between $22 and $26, an increase from the previously communicated range of between $20 and $24, excluding the impact of ASU 2016-09, but actual results could vary significantly from this target. We are currently planning increases in shipments and depletions of between 40 and 50 percent, an increase from the previously communicated range of between 35 and 45 percent. We are targeting national price increases per barrel of between 1 and 3 percent, an increase from the previously communicated range of between 1 and 2 percent. Full year 2021 gross margins are currently expected to be between 45 and 47 percent. We plan increased investments in advertising, promotional, and selling expenses of between $130 and $150 million for the full year 2021, an increase from the previously communicated range of between $120 and $140 million. These amounts do not include any increases in freight costs for the shipment of products to our distributors. We estimate our full year 2021 effective tax rate to be approximately 26.5%, excluding the impact of ASU 2016-09. We're not able to provide forward guidance on the impact that ASU 2016-09 will have on core 2021 financial statements and full year effective tax rate, as this will mainly depend upon unpredictable future events, including the timing and value realized upon the exercise of stock options versus the fair value when those options are granted. We're continuing to evaluate 2021 capital expenditures and currently estimate investments of between $250 million and $350 million, a decrease in our previously communicated range of between $300 million and $400 million. The capital will be mostly spent on continued investments in capacity and supply chain efficiency improvements. We expect that our March 27, 2021 cash balance of $144.7 million together with the future operating cash flows and the $150 million remaining on our line of credit will be sufficient to fund future cash requirements. We will now open up the call for questions. Before we go there, similar to the last couple of calls, Dave will be the MC on our side and coordinate the answers as needed since we're in different locations. Thank you. At this time, we'll be conducting questions and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. 
One moment, please, while we poll for questions. Your first question comes from the line of Vivian Azer with Cowan and Company. Please proceed with your question. Hi, Hi this is Hi, this is this is Harrison Vivas um, for Vivian. Uh, thanks so much for taking the question. Um, so, so with 13 week depletions having come in, only three points ahead of the the top end of your previous guidance, and with the, with the growth in the hard seltzer category having decelerated notably since March. Can you can you all offer an updated view on full year growth for the hard seltzer category? Uh just, just considering how tough the comps will continue to be. Thank you so much. Sure thing. Harrison, this is Dave. I'll I'll tell into that. So I think we were last year we talked about our our reach was about seventy to hundred percent for the category. We've done some work since then. We more data we should we've got up some of that. And we kind of went back through the through the model we had built before. We're looking, we're looking mostly at the cultural penetration growth, fire rate growth in the category. We believe there's a base growth that's evident there in the category. The incremental innovation uh, that's coming, uh, remember there's a lot of loose demand in, in 2020. And importantly, a lot of shelf space gains that are, that are happening. In fact, when you look at truly, we've gained about 45% more shelf space now for truly in the last month or so. And you imagine the category may not be that exact rate, but it'll be, it'll be growing. So when you look at that, we basically went back to our model. We came up, we, think, we still think the category is going to grow significantly. And we think it's probably 60 to 90% versus, say, 70 to 100. But it could, it could exceed the 90, depending on how things go. And look at, again, some of the tailwinds that would validate the model, if you will, in that range of 60 to 90, even plus. First of all, the consumer trends are still there, right? So. Desire for health and wellness, variety seeking, uh, premiumization, they're still there, they're still evident. The shelf space thing is a big one. And we expect the category is going to gain probably 30 plus percent shelf space, which it didn't have and never really happened a year ago. There's also new channels that really didn't happen a year ago, like on premise, which is starting to open up. Uh, CNG, where the household penetration of CNG is much smaller than it is in grocery, we see uh, continued growth there. Uh, convenience of gas, also new packages. Uh, new innovation is coming, right? New innovation is a lot of investment from a lot of players, and we think that will create a lot of excitement during the summer. Um, you know, I mentioned a little bit of lapping out of stocks from last year, and the last thing I'd say is that hard seltzers you know, really, the occasion speaks to social occasions uh, where people gather together, whether it be you know, barbecues, the beach, parties, events, and we think based on what we've seen in some of the markets that are opening up um, kind of soon, we still see a very, a very strong off-premise business. So we think, again, there's a lot of reasons why we believe that category will actually now start to re-accelerate, um, and that's part of our calculation. Thanks so much. That's super helpful. I'll jump back in the queue. Your next question comes from the line of Bonnie Herzog with Goldman Sachs. Please proceed with your question. All right, thank you. Hi, everyone. Hey, um, congrats on a on a great quarter. I guess I wanted to ask a follow up on you know something that I think you were just discussing, Dave. It's a little hard to hear you, but you know just thinking about you know bars and restaurants opening up. I guess there's 
a bit of a view that this could negatively pressure the hard seltzer category. So I'd love to hear maybe a little more thoughts on this and what you see as the real opportunity for seltzers on premise. I mean, do you guys think of this as a headwind or quite possibly a tailwind for the category? And then any, you know, visibility so far with things opening, are you know, are you seeing maybe greater interest for hard seltzers now on premise? And and ultimately what's your, your strategy for truly there? I think that would help and frame everything and, and possibly that's contributing to your increased guidance on depletions. Thanks. Sure. Sure, Bonnie. Sorry, I'm gonna to try to speak right into the speaker so you guys can hear me. I think you know, as I think as Jim had mentioned before, last summer was intended to be the summer of hard seltzer in, in our premise, and it never <clears throat> materialized for, for, for good reasons. We're seeing a lot of growth right now. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely bar calls out there for the top hard seltzer brands, and our on-premise team has been out actively selling and making a lot of progress on driving distribution within that channel. So we feel very optimistic that we're going to have a lot of truly and in, in, in the category in general will be going through that, that channel. Also, I'll speak to something I saw, actually Nick, Nick Modi had done something with Numerator this week, where the Numerator guys looked at the state of Florida, which is not, which opened its off-premise, I'm not sure it ever closed, but it really opened up pretty aggressively um, early on. And the off-premise growth in Florida, as an example, is, is, is accelerating. So I think we see two things here, one where we really believe that, that people are going to be asking for, for truly another hard seltzer brand in on premise uh, right now, but we also see people continue to do things out, you know, at home and having parties and other social occasions which relate to to um, to the category. So I think obviously time will tell. The next call we have will have more data, but right now, you know, as you know, the the country is opening up and, and, um, pretty gradually. But what we see is it looks, looks good for the, for the category. All right, thanks. And just on the, the increased guidance for depletions, is that one of the, the drivers for you in terms of feeling comfortable to raise your outlook for depletions this year? I think it's two things. It's, 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 it's the growth of Truly, which we just talked about. And I think the early success uh, we've had with T and you know, decided to, to, to launch Punch pretty much right now gives us a lot of confidence. Also, you know, Twisted Tea continues to perform very, very well, it, to be honest, beyond our expectations. So when you combine those two together, um, that's definitely driving that guidance. All right. Thank you so much. Sure thing. Your next question comes from the line of Kevin Grundy with Jeffries. Please proceed with your question. Hey, uh, good evening, guys. Um, not to belabor the, the seltzer topic, but I did want to come back to it. So um, I guess, Dave, for, for you, just in terms of visibility on market share when you guys are building the model, because I, I guess what's noteworthy is that your outlook for the category has, has come in, right? And, and I think where you guys were before, and, and I, everyone is sort of sympathetic. There's a wide range of outcomes here. It's sort of a high-class problem for the industry, but the 70 to 100% growth was, was high relative to what other folks were saying. So the midpoint previously was 85%. Now it's 70%. So the category outlook comes in. So sort of implicitly, you're feeling increasingly optimistic about your market share within the context of, you know, reportedly what's a really strong start for cacti. We see that in the data. 
Topo Chico's off to a blazing start in, in Texas. Constellation's just leaning in here and kind of playing catch up. So I guess the question is, what's the visibility on the market share? And I and, and really, I guess the reason to, to sort of increase the guidance at this juncture, just given the, the flood of competition and, and the amount of investment that's coming into space. So a lot there, but comments really specifically on market share visibility. Thank you. Okay. So we see, so the midpoint call is 75%, but to your point, it's, it's pretty imprecise. We, we think we can outgrow that, that number. And I think, again, first of all, when you look at other brands that just launched two, three weeks ago, you can't, you can't draw conclusions. Right? So a particular brand that's well-known, it's going to get a lot of trial. A brand that's a line extension off of large beer brand, it's going to get a lot of trial. So it's really, it's, it's still early to call it. Honestly, it's early to call it for Truly Tea as well. We like where we ended up. In the first quarter, we launched the first week of January, and the fourth week year year to date looks good. But we, you know, we're very, we've done a lot of consumer work and testing with, with Punch, which is coming soon, and it, it is tested probably better than anything that we've developed thus far. So we feel like Punch will bring a Punch, a big one, and enable us to to keep pace. But you're right, there's a lot of activity. Let's think there's a lot of activity in the marketplace. It will all sort itself out over the coming months. But I think. Between the trajectory we see for T, the uh, by the way, the velocity is just for perspective. Um, the velocity for truly T is 2x all the brands you just mentioned. Okay, um, the velocity, um, you know, for truly lemonade, which is still an 87 share year to date, it's it's number three in the category. So it's holding up. It's the number three brand in the category, or or or, or skew. It's the number three brand in terms of velocity. It is 2x right now, and, and, that, and you can look at velocity two or three months in. It's 2x the velocity of the other two competing hard sales or revenue brands who put in the marketplace. So we look at all of that, and yeah, I mean, it's, we're not taking anything for granted, so don't get, take us wrong on that one, but we are gonna, we're going to fight the entire year to grow share. So it's one thing for, you know, again, the category grows 60 to 90. Honestly, whatever it is, we're going to grow faster. That, that, that's what will make us happy. If the category grows 50, and we grow 70, great. If it grows 90, and we grow 110, great. But, but we believe with the innovation we have lined up, and by the way, um, the, brand, the brand investment, which, which is significant, and a lot of news to come, still to come, on the brand, we feel like we've got everything lined up to, to, to withstand um, the competition as good as they are, as good as those companies are excellent companies, and they're all taking a shot at it. And um, if nothing else, it makes us work harder. It makes us, we think, even better at what we do. Thanks for all the color, Dave. I'll, I'll pass it on. I'm sure there's a number of other questions. Thank you. Sure thing. Your next question comes from line of Eric Sirota with Evercore. Please proceed with your question. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. And uh, Dave, your, your voice is a little better, but still a little muffled. I'm not, not sure if you could... Uh, do anything further about that. A um, couple of questions. First, in terms of the pricing environment, uh, saw that you raised the guidance from the one to two percent range to the one to three percent range. Um, is that increase driven on the seltzer side, on the beer side, uh, the, the, the twisted tea side? Um, Constellation recently called out some increased uh, price competition within seltzers. Is that something you're seeing? 
Um, and then the next question was really around uh, how you're thinking about the longer term innovation pipeline um, to play devil's advocate. Some of your, you know, a lot of your recent success has come from seltzerizing, um, you know, other NA or alcoholic uh, categories, be it lemonade or tea. Um, how are you thinking about future uh, innovation? You know, do you run into a wall of attractive categories uh, or styles to seltzerize? Um, and uh, I'll stop there. Okay, Eric, this, this is Frank. Let me take the, the first uh, question on pricing. So we, we increased our pricing range um, slightly, as you have seen in the midpoint. The, the pricing is, 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 is across the board. You know, it, it's not like that we take one national price increase. It, it, it's literally it, it's by, by region. Um, but overall, uh, clearly, Tata is, is the biggest part of our portfolio. Without that, you don't get to the, to the price increase. Um, we don't we don't see really any negative price pressure because um, at the end of the day I, I think we, we we're competing on quality uh, and and on brand and, and we have we have seen uh, that pricing that we put into the market actually starting last year what you're seeing is pricing that we put in that's that's carrying over plus new pricing and we feel fairly confident about that across the entire portfolio. I guess Eric, I'll take the second. I'll take the second part of the question about uh, future innovation. Hopefully, you guys can hear me okay. Um, so I think you know, we have a lot of ideas. I say that we punches up next. Um, we have many ideas, and so we're not worried about that. Actually, there's different there's different paths we can take in the category. I think I will say I think the benefit of being a, a pure play. I think I said it before, but the benefit of being a pure play seltzer brand is seems just for seltzer enables us to navigate and redefine the category in ways that we can, we can be successful in versus if we come in as a beer brand trying to play in seltzer. So I think we think there are more avenues there. We have many ideas. Um, and by the way, it's not innovation just doesn't have to just be around flavor profile to do other things as well. So we're, we're pretty confident. Uh, we, also, we also know consumers want, they want new things. And particularly in this category, they're looking for new things if you notice, we've kind of sped up our innovation cycle. We can we can innovate really quickly. We think it's a core competency of ours, and we think like it's time for everyone to start running five hundred miles, and that's what we're doing, and we'll continue to do that until everybody drops off. But but again, we have we have plenty of ideas, and we're not uh, not too concerned about that. Terrific. Well, congratulations. I'll pass it on. Thank you. Thanks. Your next question comes from line of Laurent Grandet with Guggenheim. Please proceed with your question. Thank you, uh, and good evening, guys, and uh, congrats on, uh, on an exceptional and, uh, quarter. So those would be, I mean, uh, I've got two follow-up questions first. I mean, uh, in terms of shelf reset I mean, uh, in March, I mean, you, you said you gained shelf set. I mean, uh, the voice was not I mean, coming across very well. So could you tell us how much shelf space you you gain, uh, and did you increase your your I mean shelf I mean, uh, percentage uh, share I mean, uh, versus uh, competition? Sure, I'll answer that. So it's forty five percent shelf space plus forty five. And from uh, and you gain in terms of percentage versus last year? 
Yeah, so we gained 45% more more shelf space across the board in off-premise versus a year ago. Okay, thanks. Uh, then in terms of... Um I'd like to understand, I mean, a truly, uh, truly tea and, and lemonade, I mean, a repeat purchase. So now you've got, I mean, three, four months of truly tea. I mean, could you tell us what was the repeat uh, purchase of truly tea? Uh, now, if you, if you got that, and um, if the repeat purchase of truly lemonade has been impacted by the launch of uh, uh, the others lemonade. Yeah, sure thing. So true, again, I would... And Lauren, I would argue that that is still early to draw big conclusions on repeat even now, but but the repeat rates are like mid mid, mid to high teens for for, for for this for this time period, three three months or so of data is actually quite good. And if we look at that compared to it's a little south of where lemonade was last year. Lemonade um, had this was a, it was kind of a validatory of the 2020 class of new products had the highest the highest trial and the highest repeat rates. Truly T is coming a little bit south of that, which we sort of expected it uh, to be, but it's still very strong. So, but I'd also say it's still early. So we'll see, particularly in the face of all the other innovation coming in, we'll see how that holds up. As it relates to truly lemonade, it's still, you know, it's still doing quite well. As I mentioned before, it's number three skew in the category. The velocity is, is 2x where all the new entrants are, even more than 2x of all the new entrants in the category thus, thus far, except for except for truly tea, which is which is much closer to it. But so it's, it's, it seems to be holding up quite well, honestly. And um, in in a way, we're sort of we're kind of agnostic as to how the mix plays out. We're going to you know consumers will decide what it looks like in the end. And I'm not sure if consumers are trading out one lemonade for another lemonade or one tea for another tea. I think just looking for a great hard seltzer experience, and they're looking for a brand that they trust and that they like. And and so we'll see how it plays out during the year and how the mix of flavors uh, forms. But lemonade is holding up uh, quite well. Um, and if, in fact, somebody, this is again, this is early data, but there seems to be almost very, very little interaction with Mike's Hard Lemonade Seltzer and Truly Lemonade thus far. Seems very little again early, but we don't see it at all. Yeah, thanks. My my last question is about uh, capacity and. Uh, What's the driver behind, I mean, uh, uh, reducing kind of the capex for this year? Um, Laura, this, this Frank, the, the, the driver of the capex, and we came out and made a fairly wide range. Um, we knew we were uh, looking at different options to build capacity. Um, and what has happened between, you know, when we, when we came out and now is that we found a better way. Uh, and, and a more uh, effective way to build the capacity. So the scope has not changed. We just have found a solution that requires less capital than what we had envisioned uh, at the beginning of the year. So, so we're, we're, we're becoming more, more effective in our capex spend, but the scope uh, has not changed. It's exactly the same as before. Uh, thank you, Frank. Uh, I pass it on. Congrats again, guys. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Your next question comes from the line of Sean King with UBS. Please proceed with your question. Hi, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, I'm curious about um, how you know, last quarter you took down the guide for uh, uh, for the increase in uh, A&P spending, uh, but then you took it back up. You know, what's really changed? Is this simply just a function of the increased sales outlook, or have you found sort of a, a more favorable ROI on some of the investments uh, to date? Um, 
Yeah, the, the, this Frank, Sean, let me take that. The, uh, uh, clearly, the, the way the, we, we've started the year, we're, we're pretty happy with the first quarter in terms of shipments and depletions and, and our outlook. Uh, we're also very happy with uh, the programs that's coming in terms of innovation and, and, and the media and the entire programming uh, around our brand. And, and when we look at that, and as I said before, we define our spending not necessarily based based on a metric as a percent of net revenue, we clearly look at it, but that's not the target. What, what defines our spending is the opportunities that we see, how we feel about our programs, and how we want to support our business. And based on how the business has started out, the innovation that's going to come and how we feel about our programs, we felt it's the right thing uh, to increase our, our APNS spend um, going forward and, and for the full year. Great. Thank you for the color. Your next question comes from the line of Wendy Nicholson with Citi. Please proceed with your question. Hi, a couple questions, um, if I can. First, you know, when I go into the grocery store, it seems like the hard seltzer space on shelf has expanded a lot, um, and you've clearly benefited from that. But a lot of the newer brands, and particularly a lot of the ABI brands, are more on end cap displays or they're showing up at other places in the store. And I just wondered, um, you know, cost to compete in terms of promotional dollars. Um, it's great that you're getting more distribution, but can you talk about kind of your outlook or your expectation, particularly as we go into the summer months, you know, pre-July 4th, is the cost to maintain that shelf space or to get that end cap significantly higher than it was a year ago? I'll take that one, um, Wendy. The, um, the cost hasn't really gone up. I mean, this is alcoholic beverages, right? So you cannot pay for shelf space. You cannot pay for end caps. Um, those are actually sort of earned by uh, your relationship with uh, the retailer and um, maybe even more so by your distributor's relationship with the retailer. Uh, and, and I think what you're seeing, and I've seen the same thing, is uh, there's so many new entries. In, in many cases, the retailers are not cutting them into the shelves right away. Uh, so they have to put them on the floor. And I think you know the uh, Anheuser-Busch guys are very, very... Uh, good as our wholesalers are, you know, at uh, talking the store into an end cap or an out of department uh, display, and and that's what you've seen. But that uh, does not involve promotional dollars typically. Got it. Fair enough. But but on that same front, and and this is kind of leading to my second question, which is the margin expansion that you've seen, you know, over the last couple of years has been tremendous. You know, given sort of lots of favorable operating leverage and all of that. Um, you know, but but and maybe this is for you, Jim. As, as as you look out over the next couple of years, is there any reason the operating margin can't continue to expand from the let's call it 16% level? I mean, back to the you know peak of 17 or even above that as we go out. You've you've gotten past a lot of the capacity issues. You're running a lot more efficiently than you were. Is, is margin expansion going to be a steady climb upwards from here, or is there any reason that wouldn't occur? I would expect it to occur. Uh, you know, steady 
we don't know. Um, we we uh, we don't have a goal of margin expansion. The margin expansion is going to be a uh, result of running more efficiently, and as, as you know, volume increases, hopefully the you know the advertising and selling expenses scale up as well. Um, we do believe that uh, there are significant pockets of savings within our supply chain. Frankly, what we have right now has, you know, been cobbled together pretty quickly uh, from available capacity and, and uh, the long-term partnership with City. Um, we have focused on just getting more uh, sleek cans produced and, and, and put into variety packs rather than uh, you know the efficiencies on them because we've had out of stocks and you know those cost ten bucks a case or whatever the loss gross margin happens to be on that skew. So you know a fifty cent a case higher uh, cost uh, doesn't look very big when you're looking at out of stocks. We believe we have uh, you know set up our supply chain um, for not just you know 2021 but 2022 we have options in place for more capacity for 2023 so we will be increasingly turning uh our uh, attention and our capital investments on cost savings investments that would you know rationalize where we ship it where we make it there are significant uh savings from automating uh, the process of doing variety packs for a rough idea um, I- internally uh, we can do them for uh, about a quarter of what it costs to get them done externally because of uh, capital investments operating techniques etc so things like that we can roll out uh, to the co-packers so I I would see significant uh, opportunity in gross margin and operating margin expansion over uh, the next two years as we continue this supply chain transformation and are able to shift from expanding capacity to rationalizing uh, and making more efficient the capacity that we've just put in place. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from the line of Filippo Falorni with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed with your question. Hey, guys. Uh, good afternoon, and congrats on the strong results. Um, I wanted to talk Thank a you. little bit more about the Twisted Tea brand, which probably doesn't get uh, the attention it deserves from the investment community relative to its strong growth. So. Maybe first you can talk about the growth drivers of the brand in Q1, and then longer term, what are your plans for the brand in terms of innovation and also in terms of the opportunity to expand the distribution relative to other F&B uh, brands uh, in the category, particularly given you have much higher velocities at Twisted Tea relative to other brands. Thank you. Great. Hey, this is Dave. I think I'll, I'll take a shot at that one. I think the way to think about Twisted Tea is that it's a brand that has very, historically has had very low penetration, but very high frequency, very high loyalty. And what's happened over the past year, and I think it benefited from, from COVID, 
we, we grew the, the penetration base by about 35% in the past year. In fact, and I think the Hard Seltzer brand is the only brands that grew penetration more. So we brought a lot of new consumers in. And by the way, it was also very much focused in, in, in the convenience channel, right? So a big percentage of the business is single, has been single serve. What's happened over the last year, we brought more consumers in. We've increased our distribution pretty significantly in larger format stores. We've also taken the brand from a more rural uh, venue to, 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 more, to more urban venues as well. And we've actually grown, you know, points of distribution uh, pretty, pretty significantly in the, in, 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 the, in the last year, as well as, as, well as Watsi. I think our, point, our, our points of distribution have been up actually year to date 25%. And uh, velocity by 31%. So, bringing it to into the cities, more more multicultural consumers participating, increasing distribution of 12 packs in grocery stores. We have three. We have the, we have, the original, we have half and half, and we have a, a party pack. Big growth there, and really driving a lot of um, a lot of consumption in that channel. We've also, from a brand perspective, we've, we've improved our our work online. In fact, we've increased our Twitter following by three times. Our engagement levels in social media are quite are quite high. We've done we sponsored uh, the 100 Thieves uh, gaming platform or gaming team, and we're also getting involved in SEC football. So, and, and when we did SEC football, we sort of broadened the shoulders of that brand, and we've been spending more money across 12 months of the year to support it versus just during the, the key selling season. So, a lot of things are going on. I think probably the most important thing is that Jim, Frank, and I don't spend any time on that brand. We let the experts deal with it. That's probably why it's done so well. But but there's a lot, but it, it's, it's a brand that's got a lot of potential. It's, it's starting to play out now, and, um, and we're going to keep adding, you know, we'll keep adding fuel to the fire. Great, thanks. Your next question comes from line of Stephen Powers with Deutsche Bank. Please proceed with your question. Hey, thanks. Good evening. Um, Maybe just to clarify real quick, going back to the 60 to 90% category growth you mentioned, uh, Dave, is that is that on your part a wholesale growth rate call or is it a retail call? And if it's a wholesale number, you know, what portion of it comes from the greater shelf space allocations that you mentioned for the category versus actual increases in uh, consumer offtake, if there's any material impact there? Yes, yeah, right. I think it's that I mean, that's really from the we have the model really looks at, at from a consumer perspective <clears throat> more than anything. So again, but we're just looking at category penetration rates and growth in penetration, growth in buy rate, which is a function of frequency and how much people spend for each occasion. Um, innovation, which we, you know, based on our our best guess at how all the innovation from all the players will, will play out in the category, as well as we can quantify lost demand from, from from last year, and then shelf space. So I think the shelf space arguably is sort of more of a push element, if you will. But the rest of it's really driven by what we think the consumer demand is going to be for the for the category. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and if I could, um, if you could talk a little bit about just you know the incrementality of these innovations that you layered on. Obviously, lemonade was 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 very incremental in the end. T is proving to be, um, you know, very incremental as well. I guess how are you thinking that that, that plays out as you layer on um, some of the new innovations that you, you, you've got lined up, uh, including Punch um, this summer? Um, and if I could, Frank, um, if you have any 
just a, a way to frame for us just uh, how you see uh, freight costs coming in over the balance of the year, just relative to um, last year or whatever, just, just some sense of how to dimension that. That'd be great as well. Thank you both. Sure thing. So, Stephen, I think I'll take the first part. I think, look, it's really hard. It's really hard to measure incrementality because there are so many factors at play, and I think a lot, you know, some folks like to give very, very uh, adamant numbers of what it is, and it's always 90% for some reason. It's not 90%. But I think what we're trying to do, we do, we do believe that adding just another lightly flavored seltzer is not going to be as incremental as something that's bold and different. So lemonade proved that. We think tea, tea is looking pretty good, but we don't. it's too early to even know how much of it is incremental. We believe it's, it's more than half incremental to our brand, we believe, and we think it is incremental to the category. Um, and we think punch will be the same way. So by trying to find, you know, flavor profiles and approaches that are that are vastly different from what exists. And for example, there is, as far as I know, there is no national punch hard seltzer. We think it helps. It helps certainly helps optimize the incrementality. So that's sort of how we look at it. And I, and we're you know in the end, when all the dust settles, we'll have a sense of what it is. But it's just it's kind of a food fight out there, right? People are, are trying everything. You can see it. And you see all these new brands that come in, including when tea came in, there's a lot of trial, and you see brands spike up, and then you see them start to come down. The question is, when do, where do, where do they settle out at? And it's because everybody wants to try everything. So in the end, it's we're just trying to create great-tasting products um, and, build the, and build the brand. And, and I think one of the things we've been able to do, I mean, truly now is the number five penetrated brand in the category actually has a, a larger consumer base than, than Corona Extra. So the, the bigger you build the base, the more, I think, the more incremental it can become when you bring new things to, to the base. So I didn't, didn't really give a definitive answer, Stephen, but it's, we think it's, it's largely incremental, but how much, we don't, we don't know. Yeah. Okay. And Frank, anything uh, on the it, distribution? Yeah, on, 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 the, on the freight, uh, clearly this is, this is a factor uh, that you probably have heard that on, on other calls in, in the industry. Uh, there's, there's, there's real shortage of drivers and, 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 and of trucks. Uh, so the ratio between available trucks and, and, and loads uh, has significantly worsened. And that's what we see in the race uh, to the point that we've broken it out really in the earnings release. Uh, separately, because the the impact is significant, and um, it, it really depends. It's like you, 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 we have contracted rates, but then you don't get the trucks, and you have to go deeper into it. Uh, so we see we, we, we see the impact uh, on on multiple levels. One is the input costs uh, are going up because the freight is, is coming into our our costs, the materials, and like ingredients, the packaging materials. So we see it there. Uh, we see it, you know, when we, when we move products uh, uh, between our locations and clearly on the distribution side. Uh, we, we've seen increases between 30 and 50 percent, uh, and we have to see where it's, it's going to net out. Uh, Q1 seems high, uh, but, but we will see freight as a, as a, as a major cost increase uh, for the year. Okay, thank you very much. Your next question comes from the line of Nick Moody with RBC Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, so I got a few uh, questions. First, um, David, is, is there any uh, any metrics you can provide on how uh, truly punch tested relative to lemonade 
or or ice tea. Just curious if you have any specific metrics just to give us some some frame of reference. Um, and then once you answer that, and then I'll I'll go with my next uh, my next question. Yeah, Nick, hey, hey, Nick. Without, without getting into too much specifics, I think from a product testing perspective, and Jim can maybe back me up on this, because he's very involved in this, but it, it scored as, as high, if not higher, than, than all the other flavors that we, we built for, for, for lemonade, and we use that as, sort of as, our, as, our, as our baseline. So, and Jim, I don't know if you have anything else to add to yeah. that one, or do you think that? No, I just confirmed that. Uh, it was... Uh, the liking scores on the formula that we developed, we were very, very happy with. They were as high or higher than both lemonade and tea. Um, it is, you know, now that doesn't uh, mean the concept uh, itself was higher, but the actual liquid that we developed uh, got outstanding ratings from drinkers across a pretty wide spectrum, and they were, it was a surprising you know, flavor to them, uh, but one that was uh, familiar and they just rated it as delicious. So I think that uh, feeds some of our optimism. Got it. Um, and then, you know, maybe this is for you, Jim, just when you think about strategically over the next few years, and, you know, we're obviously we're seeing the RTD cocktail, you know, spirits-based and also wine-based um, RTDs doing really well. You know, how do you think about those segments of the marketplace? I mean, is that an area you would ever explore in a more meaningful way outside of what you already have with Dogfish Head? Um, you, the answer is probably yes. If it was an opportunity where we thought we could, you know, bring something to the consumer that they weren't otherwise getting, and where we had a, you know, com competitive advantage in terms of, uh, you know. Uh, costs and, and effectiveness in getting it to the market. Um, it is, for me, it's in that sort of what I've described as a fourth category that is not, you know, beer, wine, or liquor, uh, and is kind of a, an intersection of them that brings new elements of of convenience and flavor profiles and nutritionals, uh, things that consumers really put a high value on. So. We would not foreclose uh, any of it, and uh, the Dogfish Head Can Cocktails is, is a start. We do think that, you know, RTD cocktails uh, will have a, a role here. Um, it is, however, my belief that, uh, that brewers and their wholesaler networks are competitive advantage when you get to, you know, uh, Things like canned cocktails, which look in, well, they're they're in a 12 ounce can. We know how to put things in 12 ounce cans at extremely high efficiency. Uh, they're in the cold box. We have wholesalers who work the cold box, who are often there every day. Um, they're certainly there at uh, much greater frequency than wine and spirits distributors are. Um, these are kind of tonnage products that. Uh, require efficiencies all the way through uh, the manufacturing and uh, the delivery, uh, and they have smaller margins than, you know, the, the products that uh, the spirits companies make that are, you know, really expensive, big sales, you know, big uh, commissions for the salesman that doesn't happen. So my belief is that uh, this is a significant and growing category.
are also, you know, laws that uh, uh, greater access for uh, beer and wine than hard liquor, and there are different tax rates. So, uh, you know, we have traditionally, well, for what, 80 years, had these three lanes in alcoholic beverages. Uh, and the, the beer lane, I think, uh, has a pathway to growth that we haven't seen for many years. And I, I do think there'll be, in the, over the next couple of years, some uh, contests uh, over who's going to get that terrain. Is it going to go to beer companies or uh, are the uh, spirits companies going to be able to change some of the, the rules and, and kind of tilt the current playing field in their direction in terms of, you know, changing the rules of access or the tax rates. But unless they're able to do that, I think beer can win. If, if they can change the rules, uh, all bets are off. And then, sorry for the three questions, but a little for everyone. Frank, maybe you can just kind of close out um, on Mark. You know, what is a normalized volume growth rate which will allow this company to actually see operating leverage or, or margin leverage? Like, what is, what do you classify as that as? You know, because obviously you guys have been exceeding your growth rates, you've been using more third party uh, co packers. You know, how should we think about what a normalized number would be for you to get operating leverage? Yeah, Nick, it, it's hard for me to give you a number because yeah, every time we, we believe we have, we have enough capacity, we, we, we kind of keep on outgrowing. And you, you see, if you look back at the quarters, I mean, this has been our biggest quarter, um, and, and it, it keeps on growing. So it, we, we need to get control. It's not that we, that we shouldn't grow. I think we can grow at a relatively high rate and, and didn't lay it out earlier. We have, we're, we're getting much closer to a point uh, where we can build a, a much better uh, and, and well-integrated supply chain that that has internal uh, breweries and, and external locations, have them well-integrated, that will provide savings and that will provide margin improvement. The, the biggest one you mentioned before is, is really uh, to get the, uh, the cost of variety pack down, and, and, and one, which we have done internally, and that's the benefits that we're seeing internally. Uh, they don't fully show up in the PNL because we're growing that type of volume at a higher rate externally because of the growth rate. But now that we are you know, getting those processes also with our co-packers, we will address those, we'll, we should see benefits and we will see benefits from that part as well. So even if you maintain the high growth rate, uh, we will see those benefits. And then the third one is, is our supply chain transformation. Uh, project which which will enable us to to pull that off and, and, and to integrate that much better and and, and run it uh, in, a, in a much better much smoother way. So I'm, I'm sorry I can't give you a growth rate number, but so we are getting our hands around the growth rate that will allow us to to show the margin improvement starting next year. Super helpful, Frank. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Right. As a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. One moment, please, while we pull for more questions. Your next question comes from the line of Kevin Grundy with Jefferson. Please proceed with your question. Great. Th thanks so much for the follow-up, guys. I do appreciate it. Jim, you actually began to touch on what I wanted to follow up with, and that's the, the topic of, of industry taxation. So. 
as you're very well aware, you know, there, there's been the discrepancy at the federal level between uh, beer, uh, malt beverages, and wine and spirits for, for decades. Um, and um, where su such that malt beverages and, and, and beer uh, have advantageous tax treatment rel relative to, to other uh, alcohol categories. And I want to, could you comment, Jim, on, on how you view the magnitude of this threat, particularly in an environment where politicians will be looking for, for sources uh, of revenues? So tax is likely to move higher, not lower. I think there's probably very little disagreement on that. How you handicap the risk? Uh, for, for the beer industry, and frankly, whether you think the industry is on sturdy ground in, in terms of continuing the, the argument that there should be uh, this discrepancy that's existed for a long time. So your thoughts there, Jim, would be appreciated. Thank you very much for follow-up. Yeah, um, no problem, Kevin. The, uh, you know, this, this tax difference between beer versus wine versus hard liquor um, has been in place uh, since the Civil War, um, since the very... Uh, inception of excise taxes on alcohol. So, um, and it's you know it's certainly uh, served the industry well, uh, and you know given uh, everybody has their own lane and and spirits of course as you know has been growing at uh, the expense of beer over the last 20 years. So, um, my handicapping on it would be that. Uh, the, it would be a very hard argument for the spirits companies to uh, make uh, to reduce their taxes to the beer level, and that is the the effort that's underway. It's called equivalency. Um, it's been on the uh, agenda of the spirits companies uh, for certainly the entire 37 years that I've been in uh, the beer business. And it's it really hasn't gone anywhere, uh, particularly because it's just a hard argument if you're you know big, especially foreign-owned company, to say that you know you want to have your taxes reduced so that you can uh, be even more profitable than you currently are. Uh, it's gotten pretty much zero traction at the federal level, but there have been some. Uh, you know, some small traction at the state level, usually uh, very quietly stuck into a bill, an omnibus bill. Um, and, uh, again, frankly, the beer industry was not uh, really awakened to it. Uh, and so the spirits uh, people had some uh, small successes uh, in getting their state taxes reduced because, Nobody was really uh, awake, um, and uh, it, it, it's a hard argument to make if you're a liquor company. You're going to a state legislator and saying, "Gee, I have these, prop these products out there that aren't profitable enough for me, so uh, please uh, reduce my taxes on these liquor products uh, that are lower ABV." Uh, to reduce my current taxes, which, of course, if you're a state legislator and have to have a balanced budget, it means you have to take either take uh, you know, raise the taxes on your constituents to compensate or constituents so that you can make it more profitable for a big foreign-owned liquor company to sell their products in your state. So I am I see that as a very difficult argument to make, and I see the you know the, the small shoots of 
that they've had. I think maybe Nebraska might be the only example, but I uh, I don't uh, keep track of all 50 states. Um, I now that the beer industry is awake to this. Uh, and United, and, and I do believe that the beer industry has uh, exceptional trade associations. Uh, the, the Brewers Association, Beer Institute, and the National Beer Wholesalers Association are all led by uh, some of the top three, uh, some of the top 50 trade association uh, leaders in Washington. So I, I am very optimistic that now that the period that our arguments will prevail. I appreciate all the thoughts, Jim. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. Thank you. As one final reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad now. Ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the end of the question and answer session. And I would like to turn the call back to Mr. Jim Cook for closing remarks. Well, thanks, everybody. And uh, we really enjoyed celebrating the quarter with you and uh, look forward to talking to you in three months. Take care. This concludes today's conference. You may disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation.